Well, Paul told me we didn't have to uh, we didn't have to rush, and I just want to say a few things like that I heard and experienced and saw during worship. Um, when he said that our church, when he visited, felt like home, that, that's all I feel like. How in the world can there be two parallel churches, eight hours, nine hours apart, something like that? And Paul and I have only really known each other for about a year. And the more I've hung out with him and Taylor and then some of your leaders uh, over the weekend, I'm like, Lord, this is just uncanny. Because we didn't go to training centers and, you know, how to do this in church or anything. For me, and I think some of this is true with you, I'm just a guy who pants after God, and I, I am over the way God was represented and pursued in churchianity that I was neck deep in for so long. I tell people I got saved twice. I got saved out of my sin and then got saved out of legalism and churchianity. And, um, like, I think what I experienced here today, just to, not that you need this, but sometimes, man, just come into agreement. Like, this is what body life and community in the kingdom will look like moving forward. It'll look way more like this than what some of us older people, there's a lot of 20s and 30-somethings in here, I'm 53, that when we watched TBN in the 90s, we're thinking, that's the kingdom. I just want to tell you, probably not. Probably not. This is more like the kingdom. And as we move forward, and, you know, both the fire of the Holy Spirit and the antagonistic fire from the culture and the world system comes against the church, there's going to be this awesome purifying and stripping down to where God himself is the point. Like, the point of it all is the Lord himself. And um, just during worship, I'm looking at the team, and I was getting all the, the Lord speaks to all of us in different ways, and he gives me, like, short phrases and snapshot glimpses and things like that. And the whole thing, I'm just watching the worship team and listening to the Lord and walking around the room a little bit. And uh, I, I was getting all these meteorological elements over your worship team. I was just getting words. Yep, I'm talking to you. <laughs> I'm talking to you. Um, I was getting these words of just like, the, and the final summary statement I got is, what, what's happening up here is a storm. It's a storm. Dude in the red flannel playing electric guitar. Um, who's he? Yeah, right here. So, I, dude, this, this verse is so old in me. I've only learned it in the King James. It, it's Job 37, 15. Just write it down. And it talks about... And I, I heard it in the King James. I looked at it in some other translations during worship, and it didn't have the punch in it. But in, in the King James, it, it talks about the light in the cloud. And I felt like that what's happening with you up there this morning, don't know anything about you. What was your name? Andrew. That if there has been a cloud season in you, your light did not get extinguished. I'm looking at you in that thing, and I'm like, he is burning through the gray. He's burning through. Most of us don't want clouds in our life. But you listen, meteorologically, I'm not a scientist, but that's where the lightning comes out of. And I think that that was just something from the Lord for you today. And um, there, there's a, just a couple of other. I was getting like wind. I was getting a lot of lightning up there, Taylor, just like kapow. You know, it's just like, whoa. And... Um, the, the fire on the women up there. Dudes, love you, bros. Love you. But the fire on the women up there. Green sweater girl, she, she was killing it up here. And, and then, like, the, 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 what's the right word? Like, in a holy way, 
girl in the middle, just savage, just coming out like a savage. And, uh, of course, I've, I've gotten to experience some of Taylor's stuff, and I wasn't surprised by anything I heard this morning, the leadership anointing, and just the, the way God puts something together. Can we just agree as we move forward to the coming of the king that we'll not go after polish? Can we just go ahead and, and, and repent of the, the gloss, the high gloss view of the kingdom? And just like, I'd, I'd rather it be matte black and, you know, just nothing extra, just him, just pursuing him. And so I want to say thank you to Paul and Taylor and you that have just been so kind to me over the last few days. I've had a blast. I told my wife, my wife is at home. We have a 23-year-old daughter who's about to bring us our first grandchild here in a few weeks. And they had a very big shower that has been planned uh, yesterday. And so she wasn't able to travel with us. But if I get to come back, I want Amy to come up here. Um, I like being around younger people. So I came out of a... um, a church environment about three years ago I made transition from where I'd been for 25 years into a new church environment where I was I was the old guy when I left there I was 50 and I was like the old guy because it was all 20 somethings and 30 somethings and uh, we'd done a couple of church mergers here just so you know this it's in the book by the way that, that we merged I was a Baptist I was a fundamental independent Baptist do y'all know what that means we thought the Southern Baptists were liberal Like, that's where I got saved, and I got sovereignly baptized in the Holy Spirit uh, four months after they made me the pastor of that church. Had never been around charismatic stuff. Had never been around the gifts of the Spirit. I I, I went to a church when I was 10 years old, and I heard tongues. I was like, these people are crazy, (laughs) and never had heard anything. And I'm sitting at my desk on a Monday morning. And, uh, man, I got my tie on because if you're a fundamentalist Baptist, you wore a tie to work on Monday morning. I had that thing knotted up, and I'm praying in English, and I've got my Bible software open, and I'm just feeling doing what I did every single day. And I'm just worshiping God. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I started experiencing waves of joy. And that wasn't too uncommon, but this was like a heightened wave of joy. And I'm just praising the Lord. And I just kind of shoved my little ordered prayer list over to the side. I'm just thanking God because he saved me out of just a total reprobate lifestyle. Just a decade from age 14 to 24, neck deep in drugs and alcohol all the time, thinking me and God had our own little side deal or I was different than all the other heathens I was hanging out with. I was because I had a head knowledge. So God would, you know, he would overlook my, my treachery in the spirit. And he saved me, and so I just started, in a day, got delivered, like got saved and delivered in one moment of time, like never got drunk again, never got high again, and he did all that, and so I'm experiencing these waves of gratitude for his mercy to me, and I'm just praying, and I'm like, Lord, you're awesome, and I'm crying a little bit, and joyful cry, joyful cry, you're awesome, you're so good to me, Lord, you're just so good. I love you, God. Literally, you think I'm kidding. I clamped my hand over my mouth because we were trained that whatever that was was not from God. It was from the devil. And so all of my religion, and that began a little bit of a tug of war for my testimony and my trajectory in life. And hallelujah, God won, religion lost. Spirit won, the flesh lost. But when... And this journey that we're doing together, guys, I felt the ministry of reassurance. You alluded to it. One of you, somebody alluded to it on the mic. Um, just the compassion of the Lord for you. Like nobody has gotten glorified yet. 
what none of us are walking at a hundred percent. And that's, listen, that's why Jesus came and scored a 100. Because you and I didn't. We didn't come close. And because we are in him, there is such grace and mercy for us as we pursue him. And I was just feeling like during worship that there are people that are in the room today. And you're primarily focused on where you're falling short. And where you're, when you do that, you get locked into this cycle that what you stare at, you end up arriving at. And if you're staring at your weakness and you're staring at your fumbles, you're staring at your sin, you're staring at besetting things, you're just completely focused on that, it's, it's uncanny. We always end up gravitating back to it. And when we get there again, the devil's just waiting to smack you over the head again. You know what his goal is? His goal is to get you so convinced that you are no greater than the sum total of your most bottomed out moments in life. That you start saying, that is actually who I am and the rest of the stuff is a fraud. And let me just say this. No, if you're in Christ, that's who you really are. And that junks the fraud. And the Lord is trying to just reassure you today that you cannot quit pressing in. Some of you are probably in a season where... Maybe you've been in the far land and you're just kind of peeking your head back around to see if the Lord would actually welcome you back. Don't you know that he's not he's not just kind of busy. He's been watching for your return. He's been watching for you to just say, God, I'm done with it. I don't know if I can make it, but Lord, I'm going to start walking that way. And he starts running to you. And I just hope you'll receive that today. If anybody has been on the fence or in a season where. Um, you know, we hand the enemy ammo sometimes and he fires it back at us and then he blames us. And listen, I'm not, I'm big on personal accountability. Paul's true. Like on the, on the podcast, like I don't play around, but the one thing I hate is I hate the perpetuation of religious guilt. I hate the spirit of accusation. Um, and I hate the fact that sometimes we get emotionally, mentally, and sometimes even in our soul convinced that our sin is greater than his ability to forgive and deliver from that sin. And I just want to encourage you today. He's not done with you. He, he's not got his arms folded across his omnipotent chest saying, what are you doing here again? That is always a lie. And I just believe this firmly. If you'll draw near to him. And I even would say this, if you walked into the door today, that's a token of you drawing near. He's going to be drawing near to you. So thank you for letting me come. I'm grateful. It's my first time in Indiana. I know. It's like, where you been, Jeff? Georgia. I've been down in Georgia. Georgia is the land of uh, premature exits from all playoffs. That's, that's what we are down there. Whether it's the Falcons losing a 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl, whether it's the Braves perennial, good to make the playoffs, now we're going to go sit and watch at home the World Series, or whether it's the Hawks looking like a team. I'm a sports fan, by the way. Are there any sports fans in here? So I'm in Indiana. Some of you guys like basketball at least, right? Okay. Well, God bless you. I hope your fortune is better than ours is in sports. Um, I want you to join me in Psalm, um, I think I'm going to do this tonight, today. Uh, excuse me, actually just go to Isaiah 64. Just hang there, I'm going to read a verse out of Psalm. Um, thank you. I'm glad I don't feel the need to be professional here, I love that. No, I'm, I'm dead serious, that's, that's just such a relief I want to be a brother. 
I want to be a mouth if we have opportunity, maybe be the hands of the Lord. But I want to, I want to give just, I'm going to read you two verses and I'm going to leave it with your leadership team and anybody else that wants to consider this. I believe that this house has, not necessarily today or even in recent weeks, but somewhere in the not too distant past, has crossed the prayer of Psalm 90, 16 and 17, and you're living in the answer of it. I'm going to read the verses. So it's Psalm 90, verses 16 and 17. I, it's framed up in Psalm 90 as a prayer, and I actually feel like I can say with absolute confidence that you're, you're, you're living in God's answer to this prayer. And this is the prayer. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. And then he adds it for emphasis. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So without trying to sound super prophetic or anything, I'm, a, I'm fresh eyes on something that most of you see every week. This is very unusual what's happening here. I know enough about it because I've watched a little bit on YouTube. I've listened to your leaders here this weekend. And you guys have an established work here. This is not a fledgling work. I know it started out as a church plant many years ago, what, eight, ten years ago, something like that? Five years ago. And you, you go through that season where it's very fragile. It's very fledgling. It's like, have you ever seen those baby giraffes get born? Like, baby giraffes get born, and they start walking pretty soon after, but those first two steps, they're, they're just all jacked up. You know, they don't know what they're doing. And then finally, they're doing the giraffe stride. You know, they got it going on. <laughs> I, I, I know there's no strutting here, but my point being is this, is that the Lord has shown his work to this house and the servants here. And his glorious power is beginning to come in waves. Not that it hasn't been here before, but there's an uptick. I can walk into a place and know pretty quick that the, like you can just feel the wind at your back. And there's an uptick here. There was, um, well, the glorious power to their children. Um, just listen for a second. Do you hear the little chirping, little three-year-old voices, four-year-old voices? That's beautiful to me. That's so beautiful to me. Like the fact that, they, and they have no clue what you're stewarding out here, what you're preparing. But the Lord is doing that because as he fills the cup for you, they're going to drink from that overflow. And it's not just you, but it's also for your children. But this is what I just wanted to say. Um, we all need the favor of the Lord. I want it. I'm not too, you know, religious to say, God, I want your favor. You know, it's false humility. It says, oh, no, I don't, you know. No, I'm, I'm like, Lord, there are moments where I, if I don't have your favor, I perish in this moment. And so the favor of God is on this house. And I think the phrase that, that most grips me is he's established this, Paul. This is established. Like the foundation is settled. Nobody has to, you know, when you pour concrete, sometimes it looks settled until you take a step in it and you sink. That's not this house. The foundation is established, and many great things are being built here. So I want to commend you guys in that. And I would say, don't be afraid to pray Psalm 90, 16, and 17. Keep praying it, but you're walking in the answer of it now, and may it just increase. 
So I'm going to be in Isaiah 64 for the word that I want to bring today. I've got a couple of things kind of racing around in my spirit here, but I'm going to trust the Lord um, in timing. Um, I met with uh, some of your leaders, uh, elders. Is this my thing sticking to it? It's a magnet. There we go. Um, I couldn't move it, and I was like, well, the weight of the Lord is on this thing. So, no, it's just a magnet on a metal pulpit. Um, we, we, were, we were praying at the end of a meeting yesterday, um, and it was a good meeting. I mean, it was really just good. I love connecting with people and listening to kingdom people talk about their king. And um, I started, as we were praying, I started really getting some snapshots, some prophetic snapshots. And a phrase in particular, but I want to tell you the snapshot because I actually think the phrase preceded the snapshot. I don't know. It was kind of a swirly thing. But um, the phrase I got, let me just say that. The phrase I got, and I was praying it, and you could just feel kind of the moment in the room where it was just like, it just, every, everything synced in that moment, was that there is oil here, and it is pooling. 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 And then I was looking down, and I'm not a big kind of vision guy. That's not my main thing. I enjoy them, but it's not really where I minister from. They're all, almost always private for me. But I knew that this was for the Lord, and I saw, um, I saw what I, I later described as a honeypot. And in the pot, there, it was filled with oil. And I knew it wasn't honey because it was thinner than honey. And I saw it sitting on a little table, and I almost wanted to walk around after the meeting last night and say, where's that table? Where's that table? It was in a dark room. I could only see the inside of the pot, but I could see it was filled with oil. And when I walked in this morning during worship, I knew exactly where I saw it sitting yesterday, and it's right here on this little bench. It's, it's, it, literally, it was sitting right here when I saw it. And yesterday, what I saw, and I never saw who, but I actually think it's anybody that wants to, I saw hands dipping in oil, walking, and then other hands dipping in oil from every side and walking. And I don't know what was done with the oil, but I knew everybody had oil. When I think of oil, I almost always think of personal anointing or touch from heaven for ministry. And as we were worshiping today, um, I'm going to release this word. The oil, I'm not saying it's not for personal anointing. I'm not saying it's not for ministry. But it is clear to me that one of the things that the Father wants to oil up here is this becoming even more so a house of intercession and prayer. Now, that doesn't, people hear that sometimes. They're like, oh, that again? No. Yeah, uh, that again and again and again and again and again and again and again. When we, at our church, when we, um, when I went there, the Lord told me, because I came from a, a prayer community, and he said, this county needs intercession. And when, when you move up there, Jeff, you're going to start a regularly scheduled set of prayer meetings. I'm like, yes, Lord, I'm going to. And so when we got up there, 
it, it was not, we hit the ground running. The place exploded. It tripled in three months. Not because I'm awesome, but because the Lord was trying to do something there that was going to require a very um, particular type of people. And they all just showed up. And about, about three and a half months in, I'm actually at the North Georgia Revival. And Todd Smith was preaching, which he never does at the North Georgia Revival. And he was preaching on the place of prayer. And the Lord, I don't know how he deals with you, but he's my father. So sometimes he's huggy and tender and sweet and gives me kisses on the cheek. Not a lot, but he does do that from time to time. But other times, he kind of gets me by the back of the car and he says, come here a minute. Hey, come here a minute. Hey, 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 hey. Appreciate your preaching. Appreciate your disciple. Appreciate your working on worship. What about the prayer meeting? What about the intercession? And I went home and I told our elders that week, I said, I don't care who shows up. I don't care if three people show up. I don't, I don't know if 30 will show up or 150 will show up. But every single Tuesday night moving forward, we are going to be praying. And let me tell you this. I'm going to get to Isaiah 64 in a second. You have to be willing for a community intercessory time to sometimes be weak and empty. It can't always have 70 zealots who have light in the cloud and fire and wind, that's great. But if there are three people that'll show up and say, we're making a time, we're making a place. I love the presence ministry, presence night that you guys are doing. If you guys will dip into the oil and don't wait on you know, Paul to make it official when he's there every way, every week. You know the Lord? Do you know the King? Do you have the Holy Spirit inside of you? Do you have the ear of the Lord? Do you have a groan in you? Do you have like the moving of God in you crying out, Abba, Father? Then that is your indicator. Where are the intercessors in the house? Stand up if you're an intercessor in this house. It's not a title or a position. Yeah, it's an anointing. It's a calling. So you already have it. And here's the thing. For those of you that say, that's not really who I am. That's not really what I do. Listen, if you'll just bring your weak willingness if it's not delight, then come in a spirit of discipline and watch the Lord honor that. So I bless you in the name of Jesus, you that are standing. I bless you guys, whoever might be able to say, we need to find a time and a place. We need to be willing to push through the weakness of it. It doesn't have to be awesome. It doesn't have to be live streamed. It doesn't have to be super glossy or cool. But if we'll get in there and we'll get into the grit and we'll bring our groan, then God will move. And I bless you in the name of Jesus that somebody will find that spark. And I, I just feel this. It doesn't have to be your two, you know, couple, the, 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 the pastor family. You're not a pastor, but the, you know, the Johnsons, let's just say it that way. It doesn't have to be them. But if you guys will do that, the pool of oil that he is storing up here is going to ignite intercession. And then I'll give you this, and then I'm going to do Isaiah 64. You can be seated. So, Ben, I think this is, has something to do with you. I kept hearing at the very beginning of worship, within like 10 minutes of, uh, not worship, the prayer time, I kept hearing, this is a fault line. This is a fault line. This is a fault line. And I'm like, I know fault line has to do with earthquakes and stuff. And I was like, but it sounds negative. It sounds like, you know, divided and all. So I just Googled it because when you can't hear the Holy Spirit, you go to Google, okay? <laughs> That's what you do. 
So I Googled it, and it said something like this. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a split on the surface that produces or often corresponds to earthquakes. And literally, I'm standing over there, and I'm like, they don't know me, and I'm about to do something weird. So I just started stomping. I felt like every time I could stomp, I'm just coming into agreement with the Lord wants to split the earth in Avon, Indiana. He wants to do something that from this place, tremors will start moving out. Listen, is there another house that is pressing in in Avon, Indiana that you know of like this? I, I don't know that there is. I, it's my understanding there may not be. Probably some good churches out there, and that's great. It's not competition. But we're only responsible for what we're doing in the house where we've come into covenant with. And Ben, this is what I saw, bro. I saw you. I saw you standing and stomping and stomping and stomping. And there was literally that, if you've ever seen it, they do it in movies and TV and stuff. You just start seeing the earth zigzagging and opening up, and there was a quaking happening. And I believe this. I think that this house is a very strategic house where God wants to begin from this place through a shaking, but it's going to require, if you're content to sit back and wait and see if he's going to do it without your stomp, without you stepping up. But bro, I think there's something on you for that. So I don't know, I don't know you at all except for saying, hey, how are you yesterday? And just hearing a little bit for you. But I pray that even like in the natural, like when you walk, you're not wearing ballet slippers. You're not wearing flip-flops. That the Lord has fitted your feet to shake and to stomp. I don't know that it's just for you, but that's a part, I believe, of what he's saying for you in this season. So I want to commend this house, and we're going to go to Isaiah 64. I want to commend this house for all that you've been doing, all that you're thirsting for, all that you're longing for, all that you're believing for. That word about Lazarus. Somebody needs to revisit that. Somebody needs to just revisit that. Like, God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, but he does want us to not only ask it or think it and ask it, but he wants us to believe for it. Like, he's not shrunk. He's not up there saying, I don't know what I'm going to do about Hamas and my, the beloved. I'm a seed of Abraham. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I, I don't know what I do about Washington, D.C. and North Korea. He's not up there wringing his hands. Like, how do you think of him? I'm trying to get Isaiah 64. How, I mean, like when I see when in my spirit, when I see Jesus, I don't see him like I see a lot of Christians who are just like. <laughs> I don't see the Lord like that. I see the Lord steely-eyed with fire coming out. I see him resolved in who he is and what he will do. I see the sovereign king of kings and the Lord of lords laughing when the nations rage against him. And Christians, listen, we have so... I need help. Lord, we, we, we have so over-cherished turning the other cheek reframed it, repackaged it, adorned it with, you know, doilies and lace, and the church has become, dare I say it so, radically feminized to where we've lost our warrior cry. We've lost our backbone. We, we, we have spiritual scoliosis of the spine, and we're very fragile. And we've got to come back to this place where, like, have, have we forgotten how the story ends? 
Have we forgotten about the Son of God coming back on a horse with the armies from heaven and destroying all that refused to glorify Him? Why are we apologizing for the fire that He wants to impart for us? Like, I don't want a, a sparkler. That's not glory. Those are toys. The church would rather have synchronized sparkle than a roaring flame. You know, he lit the flame at Pentecost, and he intends to keep it spreading down to this generation. And so I'm just praying for courage in all of our churches. I'm praying for messengers that will unapologetically, with love, but without apology, proclaim the truth of the kingdom. And I'm actually praying this, that if messengers are continuing to stand and speak, but they're speaking that which he is not revealing, he is not saying, may they sit down and be quiet. Like, be a great follower. But if you have lost your backbone, if you have lost your unction, if you have lost your passion and your ability to speak what is either written or what the Lord's saying or both, then sit down and be quiet because there's probably some sophomore in high school filled with the Holy Ghost that could stand up and take your place and burn for the glory of the Lord. Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That the mountains might quake at your presence. As when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil. To make your name known to your adversaries. Don't miss that. It's, he's not saying make your name known to your people. He's saying make your name known to those who oppose you. So that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness. Those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins, we've been a long time. Shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you've hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O oh Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O oh Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look. We are all your people. I'm just going to read those nine verses. Um... I don't, want, I, don't, I don't want to be a teacher this morning. I mean, I'm, I want to work through the verses, but I don't want to bring a lesson. I want to release a word. And when I'm thinking of the church, and I hope you know, I have dedicated my life. I've been saved almost 30 years, and I've been in uh, local church mem uh, ministry vocationally 
since about two and a half years after I got saved. It was a premature advancement, but that's what the Lord worked in my life. The reason why I wrote Figuring It Out As I Go and gave it that title is because I was learning on the fly and through a lot of stumbles, a lot of failures, a lot of missteps. But I have dedicated my life to the church. I would like to be able to consider myself, God knows if it's true or not, a friend of the bridegroom. I want to be a friend to him. And so I want to, I want to be used by the Lord to pour into the bride. I'm not the greatest evangelist. I thank God for you that share your faith and have an unction from on high and a passion from Jesus to go after souls. We need you. You're probably not in the room because evangelists are out there somewhere winning people to Jesus, but, but we, we need evangelists. Um, we need apostolic leaders. You're under one. I know that we don't do titles at our church either. I know that's not a thing here, but I do like to rec recognize grace giftings. And so Paul has an apostolic anointing on him. That's who he is in the kingdom. Um, we need prophetic people. There's a bunch in here, by the way. I was having fun watching. It felt like home. I'm like, this is like my home church on the flatlands of Indiana. I mean, it's just wild. I'm like, golly, thank you, Lord. It's just so beautiful. And I thank God for prophetic people. Um, we, we need more of you, and we need more maturity in the prophetic. We really need that. Um, but what we really need is we need for the church to repent. And so when I speak today, I want you to know I've poured my life into the church, and I don't like church critics. I don't like people who walk away from the church because they saw what was wrong with it. You don't need nine spiritual gifts to see what's wrong with a church. and You don't need any spiritual gifts to walk away. The reason why God shows people what's wrong with the church is so they'll get on their face, intercede, and become part of the solution. Not so they'll step into the ever-growing sideline of critics who all lock arms and throw stones at something that they won't invest in. And so I, I'm going to say some things, but it's meant as exhortation not as criticism. Um, I want to say to you that we need a move. It's a great song. We need a move. I, yes, we need a move. But what, what I'm saying is like, no, we really need a move. I, I, I desire that the move in Indiana, Avon, Indiana, would connect to the move in Bethlehem, Georgia. It might connect to moves in Texas and California and Maine and Canada. The church needs a move of God. And it's not going to come to the casual. If we can live without it, we'll live without it. If we're okay with gathering and having some awesome meetings and some informative Bible studies, we're going to have it. That's what we'll have. And by comparison, even those meetings compared to the rest of the dead, apathetic, lukewarm, compromised church in America, even our, our most mundane meetings are better than that. But does that really dignify the sacrifice of Jesus Christ when we can settle for passable? That's not what you're born for. That is not why he came to you and brought you that moment where your eyes were open to the gospel, your spirit was open to conviction, your knees bent, whether physically or at least inside of you, your knees bent and you confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. He did not say, now that I've done that great work in your life, go and pursue status quo. So the word of Isaiah is, is, is yearning in verse 1. He's like, oh, oh, that you would rend the heavens, and come down that the mountains might quake at your presence. That groan 
is where we have got to get reacquainted. That groaning and that, oh, what? I don't even know what the Hebrew word is for that word. Some of you scholars might know, but it's got to mean something. It's, uh, it's not, hmm, it would be pleasant if you might descend perhaps perchance just a smidge and come down and give a little aroma of heaven. That's not what he's saying. I don't know where that came from, but that was fun. <laughs> he's like, tear the heavens. There's something in between us and you. We can't do it on our own, Lord. We can't bring it down. God, our thirst, we probably built the barrier. We probably raised the barrier. And it's gotten so big and so high that we can't tear it down on our own. So God, this is what our offering is. Our offering is that you, with an omnipotent hand and a heart full of grace, might remove that which, we, which we've placed in between us and you. That needs to be the cry of the church. And then he's like, come down. Um, I mentioned before that I came from a uh, non-charismatic denominational background. And when we started to begin to flow in the church, or flow in the spirit, it, it upset the church a little bit. And people, God bless them, good people, they love the Lord. But they weren't exactly open to unpredictable moves of the spirit. Just wasn't the atmosphere there. And when I would begin to say, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. There'd be like a, a line of 12 people at the end of the service saying, Jeff, we need to educate you a little bit here. You need to know that the Holy Spirit is divine. He is God, and therefore he is omnipresent. You don't need to ask him to come. He's here. I was like, well, he ain't here right now in this conversation. I can tell you that, bro. <laughs> but, but, like, there is something. Yes, the omnipresence of God. Let's sign off on that. Good. You just passed a portion of systematic theology. That's great. He's omnipresent. There's nowhere on earth where he isn't. There's nowhere in the created expanse of the universe where God is not present. That's awesome. That's different than his presiding presence. And when we're saying, oh, Lord, rend the heavens, come down, we're saying, God, we want you to manifest. We want you to come. We want to have our senses affected. We want to know that you're in the room. God, we believe it by faith. But God, if there's anything that needs to be rent and torn and removed, that we might experience all that we can handle of you, then God, we know that you have to do it, but you'll do it as a response to our cry for you to do it. And then he says that when God comes down, because they're feeding off of history, Isaiah's words here are feeding off of history, because this is what God did early in Israel, that when the presence of God appeared, the mountains quaked. Fire fell. People fell on their faces. It was so intense that the children of Israel said to Moses, you go talk to him. We, we don't want whatever that is. We can't handle that. That intense. It's been a while since I've been in a meeting. It's been a, about whenever the pastor's conference was in Dawsonville where I wanted God to stop. Please just stop because the presence was so heavy. And, like, there, there are moments that are ordained of God. And it wasn't the preaching. Quite honestly, I don't know what that message was about that the guy delivered that day. And I'm, I'm sure it helped a lot of people. I, I just got lost. And the presence of God settled to where I couldn't stand. I couldn't talk. I, Taylor told, him, told me last night, I was worried about you. What was, what was going on with you? And it's just those, those moments, guys. Like, he is that real. Do we chase that? No. But do we run away from it? No. Some of you are one encounter away from moving from where you've always been with the Lord to a place where you've never been with the Lord. 
And I want to tell you this. If you are content to never have it happen, it doesn't make you hellbound. It doesn't make you some wretched God-hater. It just means this. You're missing the all. We sang it today. We want all that Jesus has provided for us. And the church has gotten used to mild salsa. Y'all feel me on that, right? Why are you going to eat mild salsa? That's ketchup. If you're going to eat salsa, you need some jalapenos in there. A bunch. If you really want to go a little bit further, get some habanero. And some of you yahoos have probably done that little ghost pepper chili thing. I'm not there yet. Pray for me. Pray for me. But in the spirit, man, an endless bowl of mild salsa is what's been happening in America for about 100 years. And I don't think that's going to be what the Lord is pouring out at the end of the age. So verse 2. <laughs> we'll never get through with this today. That's okay. We're going to go where he wants to leave. He says, when the heavens come down, let the mountains quake at your presence. At your presence. They're not wanting the manifestation of the effects of God's presence without his presence. Church, hear me. Like, we're pretty skilled. We can make it look like he's in the room when he's not. That, that is anathema to the church now. We can't do that. I'd rather be embarrassed because nothing's happening in the church than to fear the people who might be the sideline critics and because I want them, I want to prove that we can host the presence of God, I'm going to razzle-dazzle something. I'd rather just be there and just say, God's not moving. Get on your face. Cry out to the Lord. So it's His presence. Verse 2, when fire kindles brushwood, fire causes water to boil. Cause and effect. The fire comes, things ignite. The fire comes, things boil. To make your name known among your adversaries, the nations might tremble. There it is again. At your presence, at your presence, at your presence. I'm going to expand some of your thinking here. Hopefully, I'm going to try. Like, not only does the church need to get reacquainted with the presence of God and the fire of God and the power of God, but I want you to know something. For 2,000 years, the name of Jesus Christ on earth has not yet been vindicated. His name is blasphemed. His name is used as a curse word. He's mocked. He's laughed at in media, in entertainment, in music, on podcasts and talk shows. And the bride has come to believe that, well, the 11th commandment is thou shalt get along with everybody. And, and, and so we have just gone, like, and that's what I was talking about earlier. Like we've, we've taken turn the other cheek until, forgive me, but we're spiritually neutered. And I'm thinking, have, have we lost our sight on the revelation in some of the Psalms where God is telling you what's going to happen with his enemies? Like, at some level, you've got to find how to navigate the tension between turn the other cheek and pray for those that curse you versus welcoming the glory of God to manifest so it'll shut the mouths of the enemies. You know, ISIS and Hamas have often, um, I think it originated with ISIS, but I've heard it lately in some of the reporting from the stuff going on in Israel. And they have an unofficial slogan that is often repeated. It is, first, the Saturday people, next, the Sunday people. Do you know what they're saying? First, the Jews, the people of the Sabbath. After them, the people of Christ, the people of the way, the people of the cross. 
Now, guys, we are called not to weapons of carnal warfare. We're called to, you know, to, you know, pick up our AK. I mean, you show up on my front porch, you're going to do harm to my family. You're probably going to leave with some lead in you. But that's not what I'm talking about big picture. What I'm talking about is like we are not called to look for the lowest common ground where we can appease those that hate Christ because they don't play by those rules. They demand that of the church. And then when the church acquiesces to that level, then they demand a little bit more of us and a little bit more. Why? Because they have no intent to negotiate with us. And the church is forgetting who we belong to. And so when I hear this, I, I'm, I'm just reminded in verse 2, Lord, let the waters boil, let the fire spread so your adversaries will know who you are. I'd like for my adversaries to be defeated not by death, but by a, a confession of Christ as Lord. That's what I would love to see, and it is happening in the Middle East, but at the meantime, when, and forgive me if it sounds a smidge political, I'm not trying to be, I'm just trying to say, hey, Christians that are infected primarily with politics need to return to the Word of God and recapture God's heart on what he says about the end of the age and the nations. And then he says in verse number three, he's associating this fire and this boiling and adversaries trembling at his presence two times and now the third time in the first three verses just note it and I'm using the English standard version your presence verse one your presence verse two your presence verse three when you did awesome things that we did not look for you came down the mountains quaked at your presence and it speaks of the awe of the church when you did awesome things that blew our minds like, do you ever get provoked by revival history? You know, like, and, and when, I, when I see things that God's doing in other parts of the, uh, of the world, and I'm thinking to myself, I, I'm glad that he's doing it there, but why isn't he doing it here? And, th and they're remembering a time, they're saying, God, we have a history with you that is awesome. Some of you in the room have a history with the Lord that was gloriously good, and it had the boiling, and it had the firing. But something has been allowed to serve as a veil between you and God. And you've got to get tapped back into that desperation that says, Lord, I don't know when or where I put it up. I don't know if it's warfare. I don't know if it's apathy. I don't know what it is. But I know one thing. It's blocking. It's obscuring intimacy with you. I don't find your presence like I used to. Don't receive that as condemnation. Receive it as invitation. Like, there is nothing in me here today. I'm, I'm not mad. I know I yell and get red and all of that. It's just kind of the Irish flavor in me. But I'm not mad. I'm just like, oh, God, we've got such milk toast, mild. You don't get it here because you've got Paul and other leaders. But I'm just speaking to the church in general. And just because your, your leaders have it doesn't mean you have it. Like, that, that fire, maybe it can be imparted, but it can only be imparted to a desperate heart. Amen. And so he's saying, ah, oh, return us to all. Move in grace, Lord. You came down. Every move God makes to us is grace. Grace stoops. Grace bends. You know, when little children, I, I, I learned this, I didn't know it until I had kids, but when little children come up now to talk to me, it's not as easy as it was when I was 20, but I just get down with them. Because to a little children, you know, even a guy 5'8 looks big, and, and if you want to just meet them where they are, you stoop. And that's grace. That's what God does for us. 
Could you imagine if he was constantly bellowing out to you, make it up here with me. Make it up here with me. Get up here with me. Work harder. Strive harder. Do more. Go longer. You're not righteous enough. I'll talk to you if you can just arrive. And that's so much of what we were groomed in, in religion. And when I read even Old Testament, it's like, Lord, you, you've always had to come down. And when you did, your presence, your glory. So we know, God, what you can do. Go down into verse 4. Is this okay? Y'all all right? God, you're matchless, he says, from of old. No one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God beside you. Have you gotten used to him? That's a tough question. The more immersed you are in all things Christian, the more susceptible we are to just getting used to what we have with the Almighty. Like, this could become normal. I, I know I saw at least six people prophesying over people today. Male and female, younger and older. This church, is so, you even got the shofar guy. Where's the shofar guy? Right here. Y'all even got a shofar guy. Every church needs a shofar guy that knows when to blow it and knows when not to. <laughs> but but my, I'm, I'm just sitting there thinking, I was like, we, like little babies, like I'm looking at the edge of the wall. We got moms that want to hear the word and, and, and they don't mind their kids being in here and you don't mind that they're standing up and you, you got fiery worship, you got prophetic stuff going on, you got pooling oil, you got hunger in this house. And if you're not careful, You'll get used to it. You'll, you'll, you'll just think, yeah, this is what we do. I can pop in. I can pop out. And I just want to tell you, it's rare. This is rare. It shouldn't be, but it is. And so when, when we start thinking, God, there's nobody like you. And the longer we walk with him, the deeper we should be diving into that awe. I, I promise you, I've got a graduate degree. I did all the stuff. I've been in ministry. I do, I've done it. I've done it. I feel today, and I know you've heard this before. I, you hadn't heard it from me, so I'm going to say, I feel today I know less about him than I ever have before. And, and it's because these wells just go deeper and deeper and deeper. And when you feel like maybe you've got a grasp on something, the wind of the Spirit blows you over here, and you're like, I've never seen this, that same thing from this angle. And then the wind of the Spirit twirls you over here, and you're still looking at the same thing in the kingdom. You're like, I've never seen it this way before. And finally, you just get to the point where you say with Isaiah, from of old, nobody has heard and no ear has perceived what kind of God you really are. And in the book of Isaiah, this is not an uncommon theme. Isaiah 43, 11, I am the Lord. Beside me, there is no Savior. Isaiah 44, 6, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Beside me, there is no God. Isaiah 45, 18, I am the Lord. I am the Lord and there is no other. Isaiah 46, 9, I am God. There is no other. I am God. There's nobody like me. And we get used to him. Guys, maybe that's the sin we ought to go after in the, in the church. I've heard a hundred sermons, on, a thousand sermons on lust. Bad sin. 
You can get that broken off of you today if you're bound in that. But I'm telling you, I don't think lust has done as much damage to the American church as apathy has. And so when I'm seeing this stuff, I'm like, God, raise up within me an unapologetic, radical thirst. Like in the spirit, many of you, I'll I'll even risk it, I'll just say this. Put it before the Lord if you, you don't agree with it. I think all of us in a certain sense, in the spirit, in Jesus, were raised up to be lions. To be lions. It's not about personality. It's not about temperament and all of that. I'm just saying we are raised up in the kingdom to roar. Because he's a king and we're supposed to be like him. And instead of being lions, we become very domesticated house cats. Declawed. Curled up in our little cozy beds. Feed me again. Yeah, I, I'm a dog guy now, but we grew up with cats. I'd walk into the house. My cat would be laying in whatever ray of sunshine was bursting through the window, laying on her back. I'd walk in. She wouldn't move her body. She'd move her head, and she's like, feed me. I've been waiting for you to get home. Give me something to eat. I mean, literally, that was, she didn't talk. But the face said it all. And I feel like the church has gotten like that. We're just laying in the warmest, coziest spot. We're just like, let, let, the, let the affirming sunshine come down on me. I feel so good. I'm resting with Papa. Oh, and by the way, preacher, feed me. And the Lord's like, actually, you're not a house cat. Actually, you're a lioness. Actually, you're, you're supposed to be out there hunting. You're supposed to be out there dominating the territory. This is not a marine chest thumping, you know, macho kind of thing. I'm just saying in the spirit, we've gone so far the other way. Like, I rest with Papa. I, I do. I like, that's great. I like to soak. I like to soak. But if all we're doing is soaking, and we have changed the Great Commission into go forth in all the nation and create holy hot tubs of soaking in my presence, then we've missed it. Some of you, I feel this in the spirit, man. Maybe somebody can minister this. And, and like some of you today need to come back and get your roar. And I'm, I'm saying like there's something you had you lost. There's something you had that you, you forfeited. There's somebody that talked you out of your roar because you made them uncomfortable. And so we're, we're trying to domesticate the entire church so that lukewarm is appreciated by all. And some of you know in your spirit that is not who you are. But you're afraid to be who you are in the spirit because it doesn't get accepted by the lukewarm masses in the church. And I'm telling you, the fiery remnant that is going to be doing the works of God at the end of the age are not going to be declawed, domesticated house cats. They're going to be spirit-soaked lions and lionesses. God says, verse 4, He's the God who acts for those who wait for him. I got that word over a young lady on a Friday night that I just saw waiting and patience on her, waiting and patience and waiting and patience. And um, it, was, it was meant to be an affirming word, uh, word, not calling out anything negative, but just that, that concept of waiting. And I think, guys, a lot of what we've been waiting for as the body of Christ as unashamed Pentecostal people that love the power of God, the gospel of God, the kingdom of God, the people of God, and the mission of God. Like, we have been waiting. You're all kind of over the prophetic where it's coming. 
It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And we, we can all, it, we just, we got in such, like, it was almost like the highest level of expectation was just we're going to be waiting forever. But you do realize that the waiting is unto someone. Like, it's not waiting at the DMV. It's not waiting for kickoff. It's not waiting for lunch like some of you are doing right now. Like, bro, wind up. <laughs> Bubba33 is calling my name. Uh-uh. We're waiting on a person, and our, our ability to wait is proportional to how much we trust him. And he, this is the Bible, so I'm just going to challenge you. Believe your Bible or don't believe your Bible, but your Bible says in Isaiah 64, 4, that he acts on the behalf of those who wait for him. So can I just say it? I don't think the waiting season is perpetual. I actually feel like the big-time, big headline waiting season is either over or so close to over, not like in, in years, but in months. I believe there's a release coming from heaven, and it's going to be along with a convergence of a bunch of stuff happening uh, horizontally, geopolitically, globally, that will be so far out of our control. And I believe when those fires begin to burn and those waters begin to boil, the visible church in America is going to shrink measurably because a lot of the visible church in America is not part of the actual church. And what's going to be left is a, a bunch of people who've learned how to wait on God, who are equipped for battle, who know how to hunger and thirst after righteousness, who understand and stay tethered to the end of the story that our king is coming again. I, I, do, I don't mind telling you, you can't lose if you're in Christ. Like, some of you are like, well, no, you don't understand. I've had losses. I, I didn't say you won't have losses. I said the final statement on your life will not be, she lost. Right. He lost. No, because we are overcomers. We're more than conquerors. We're always being made to triumph in Jesus Christ. That's in your Bible, so it's got to mean something. Yeah. And so when I'm seeing this, I'm like, my God is going to act for me. Yes. Some of you are enduring injustice. There's some things that have happened to you that are unjust. And you have wrestled through that temptation to take power into your own hand and try to make right what was done wrong. And you have said, I'm not going to do it. And God has not done it yet. But here's the beauty of it. I don't know when. It may happen right here in this lifetime on earth. But I can tell you something. When you stand before the King, and King, King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, He will look at you and He will say, I am about to make it eternally right. You waited on me. I bless you eternally. And so many people just, we're, get, we're getting froggy, man. We're getting impatient with the Lord. I actually feel that's a word for at least a couple of people in the room, that somebody has done something, said something, or operated in a way that is unjust. It's wrong. And your sense of righteousness in general has been violated, but it's also personal because it struck you. And I'm just saying, wait. He's going to act. He's going to do what he does, but you'll have to wait. We went through this just uh, this year. It doesn't matter what the details are, but something incredibly unjust happened in our family and um, God gave me an echo of something he taught me just last year in another situation that was terrible and this is what the Lord said I'm just going to leave it and move on um, the Lord said you can defend you or I can defend you but if you defend you 
I won't defend you. You talk about like option B. Is there an option B? Lord? Is there any room to negotiate? And the Lord's like, you can defend you or I can defend you. But if you defend you, I won't defend you. And I'm going to tell you just for his glory, um, it wasn't easy, but I did what he obviously was leading me to do. And he defended me and he fixed it. But if he hadn't, it still would have been the right thing to do. So verse number five, stay with me here. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness. Those who remember you in your ways. You meet him. Everybody say encounter. encounter. You meet him. You meet him. You meet her. Who, who is this him or her? The ones who will continue to joyfully work righteousness. And as they do so, they remember God. A God consciousness, persistent living in joy and righteousness. In other words, you just be who he says you are. And you intentionally draw from the well of joy. And you do not let anything from the left or right move you off your mark. You are removed from your vocabulary. Well, she just made me mad. She doesn't have that authority. Well, he hurt my feelings. Well, okay, listen, God will weep with those that weep, but he does not give you permission to lay in a perpetual fetal position on your kitchen floor, feeling sorry for yourself as you dial 1-800-Flowers and order another bouquet to be sent to you. Like, that's not the way he operates. He's going to weep with you, and then he's going to ask you the tough questions like, is what they did to you more than what I've done for you? Like, guys, these are, these are like battle things in me. I'm like... The war of wars is coming. And we've shown up to boot camp. We don't even know how to load a weapon. We're spiritually out of shape. We don't want to listen to the drill sergeant because we hate authority. Somebody needs to hear that. It's the spirit of the age. Anarchy and rebellion against authority. And we think we're ready to win the war. And so I think the, the window to get ready is getting shorter. It's getting smaller. So when I'm saying what I'm saying here today, I'm really trying to resonate with those that believe what I believe, but maybe have been talked down from it because not enough people are talking into it. And so I'm, I'm really trying to, I'm, it's almost like, like your, your battery died and we just want to jump it this morning. For you to believe again the things that you've believed in the past and then this meeting us. I, I love it when the Lord met me while the band was playing and y'all were prophesying and praying. I love that. That's like 30 minutes, an hour of my day. One day, one hour. I want to meet God on the plane home to Atlanta. I want to meet God in Atlanta traffic. I need to meet God in Atlanta traffic. <laughs> I want to meet God when I look at my wife and my son and my daughter when I get home today. I want to meet God in church, but I want, I want to meet God at work on Monday. Like those are the things that we've done. We've divorced the presence of God unless it's a, a meeting or even maybe our quiet time. It's like, how about you? We just start believing that he's willing to blow you up in your car. Buckle up. Amen. Like what? Like we just got to get back to that. Yeah, he's omnipresent. And he can be presiding in his presence, even as he's omnipresent. And he, he says, 
I'll meet the one who joyfully works righteousness. And some of y'all are really tired. And you're working righteousness. And he wants to reconnect you to the joyfully part. Because kingdom ministry, if you do it right, is hard. I, I know that the books that have been written, oh, if you're walking in the anointing, nothing's hard. Really, tell that to Jesus. Who in the garden, he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tell it to Paul, who opens up and has a couple of places in his writings where he's talking about despairing even of living. Like they, understatement of all history, they were anointed. Jesus sat down at the well, wearied. And some of y'all are working righteousness, but the Lord's inviting is like, hey, the well of work is good. You're drinking from it, but there's one actually right next to it called the well of joy. And I want you drinking out of both because I want to do this with you. I don't want you to do it for me. I want you to do it with me. And so let me, let me just finish up and then we'll just see what happens today. Lord, speak right now, God. This is, this is a compelling moment. I feel like the Lord is summoning Inviting, compelling, exhorting. He's not, he's not wanting us to be vague or ambiguous in what we're hearing this morning. This is not a smoothie. This is chunky meat that we need to chew on and swallow. Verse 5 six and seven just give us some uncomfortable stuff and this is holy spirit will you just help us each to know what parts are for us right now we just guys can you can you receive this word we deserve nothing hear me on this entitled american christians not necessarily in here but not necessarily not in here we deserve nothing. And if you're wrestling with that, I want to just press you forward into the Lord. He says this, Isaiah writes in verse 5, you were angry. He says, behold, that's an attention-grabbing word. Behold, you were angry. We sinned, and we've been in our sins a long time. And then he asks the questions. He's and shall we be saved? Don't just say, well, I'm already saved. That's not what he's talking about. Shall we be delivered from this? Is there a bounce back? Is there a breakthrough? Is there an overcoming? Because, Lord, I'm looking in the mirror, and I'm seeing guilt. And, Lord, I'm seeing a willful pathway away from you. We've been in our sins a long time. And any time where you're more aware of your guilt than his grace, you ask the same question. Is there any hope of me being rescued from this? And I think that's a word for the church in America. I think this, look, there's a lot of great things going on in the kingdom. I, I love it. I'm not like saying everything's bad. But what I'm just saying is like, until everything's good, we shouldn't settle. He's like, can, could the church in America say, God, you've been angry with us. I think that there are places where he could say, yeah, I've been very angry at what 
people professing my son's name have done. Scandals and sins and compromise and hidden iniquity and lovelessness and injustice and unrighteousness. And then the church says, we've been this way a long time. That's a great confession. I think that God's going to meet with us with very powerful grace. He's going to give us faithful provision. He's going to take care of you because he said he would. And there should be an expectation of rescue, but he rarely works powerfully in the life of somebody that feels owed. You can have all the theology, all of the training, all of the podcast, all of the resources, all of the prayer coverings and shawls, and go to all the right conferences, have the right people lay their hands on you, and experience nothing. And at times, God just will step in and say, I love you. I'm willing to, do, I'm willing to blow your mind. But the problem is, is you woke up today, yesterday, and the day before, and you're headed towards tomorrow, waking up feeling like you're owed. You're owed by your ex-spouse. You're owed by that boss that did you wrong. You're owed by that pastor who didn't honor you and use you. You're, you're owed by, by, by the church who, who never appreciated that big gift you gave it and the owed feeling. You're owed by the person in traffic that cut you off. You're owed by the government that doesn't value. That political party doesn't value what I value. And we just walk around and we're in this hyper-offended state in America and the slightest thing bumps onto us and we're like, Ow! You wounded me. Nah, bro, you were already wounded. You were already hurt. You were already upset. You, were, you came in pre-bruised. And guys, if I promise you this. I feel this so strongly right now. Like, and again, not accusation, but exposure maybe. Like, if you will choose to forgive and not let your emotions tell you when the proper time to forgive is... Your, your emotions don't give you permission to forgive. Jesus gives the command to forgive. So what you do is you judicially release the people, person, or people group that did you wrong. You judicially release them, and your emotions like, hey, I'm not ready to do that yet. But your spirit says, sit down and shut up. Because this is the right thing to do by God. And I'm going to tell you something, man. Oh, goodness, I'm feeling this right now. Like, when you just make the decision... To not live with offense, to not feel owed, to not feel like somebody's in your way. How can somebody stop you, a follower of Jesus, from walking in what God wants you to walk in? Because if I'm not mistaken, it says when he opens a door, nobody can shut it. When he closes a door, it doesn't matter, you got a thousand intercessors, it's not going to open. And so I like we just the freedom to live with nothing to lose and nothing to prove. And just be like, oh. So, Lord, my feelings are telling me it's going to make me vulnerable if I release this person from this offense. My feelings are telling me that if I, if I don't move um, too hastily, then we'll work this out in time and forgiveness will come later. But the voice of the Lord is saying, later is an undefined spate of time and you don't have as much as you think. Last thing, Taylor, it's probably just best if you all get ready because I'm going to keep talking. I just want to move into ministry time. Do y'all have like ministry teams or stuff like that? So those people could get ready. That would be helpful. Um, I'm not even going to deal with the famous verse number six. that talks about all our righteousness being as filthy rags. And I don't think I have to deal with that today. Um, I will deal with the last two verses. Verse eight. Now, Yahweh. Now, Yahweh. You're our father. 
in spite of us in the American church, I'm just applying it. I'm not interpreting. I'm applying. Applied, we in the American church have been long in our sins, Lord. Our apathy, our indifference, our hostility, our bitterness, our racism, our, our uh, lust. All of, I mean, it's boring. The list is so common, it's boring. We know what plagues the American church. And like when we think about it, we're like, I'm surprised there's any awakenings. But that's his grace. He comes and meets us where we are, releasing a bit of who he is. We respond to it. And then when we get to this place where we look back and we're able to see him stooping and pursuing in grace, we just have to come to this very simple statement in Isaiah 64. It just says, you're our father. Not everybody in the room had a good dad. I didn't have a good relationship with my dad growing up. We have a good relationship now. But it took the gospel. It took both of us getting radically um, changed by the, by the power of Jesus. Um, but it took me a long time to kind of press in and, and know him as father. And he says, you're our father. Then he says, you're our potter. And a potter works on the clay. A potter applies pressure. A potter knows what he's making that vessel for. And so you're going to feel the tightening grip of the father's hand on you. He's a father, but he's a potter. And he's molding you. He's very intentional with your life. And he's, he's saying no to some things in your life, not because he's mean, but because he's wise. And when we know him as father, we won't question him as potter. Because if you know that his thoughts are toward you and they're good, then when his hand is on you in ways that are uncomfortable, you'll be like, ah, he's shaping me. There's a little pressure there. There's a pinch there. By the way, the potter, when he's, oftentimes when he's done making that vessel, do you know what the potters did in antiquity? Maybe even still today. They take the vessel and they'll put it on the shelf to see if it'll hold its shape. And some of you have misunderstood the shelf season as rejection and abandonment. And all he's doing is showing you, you can hold your shape. My hand will be on you again. I made you for a purpose. I hollered you out a bit because I'm going to fill you up a bit. And while you're on the shelf for a minute, hold your shape. Stay firm. We are the clay. You are a potter. And we're all the work of your hand. Would you bow your head just briefly? Jesus. I just, I want to listen. If, if you've got to go, you're not going to offend me at all. I, I just don't want to rush this last part. I just want to make sure we're precise on this as much as we can be. The, uh, the entitlement owed an offended thing was very real. You should not feel exposed because God got you. You should feel like he just private, because nobody, nobody knows what's going on in your heart. But if he did prick you with that, it's because he wants to deliver you from that today. Not through nine months of counseling. I'm, I'm all for counseling, by the way. I've been in more therapy. I could have bought two cars with the amount of money I've spent on therapy. I'm not against it, but what I'm saying is deliverance can also happen in a moment of time, especially when he's so clear about what he requires and all you've got to do is say yes. That's where it begins. 
there's there's also in the room some folks I don't have to be prophetic to know this but there have been some people that you've drifted you've just kind of drifted it's not that you bolted on God and raised a fist in his face and ran away it's just that you drifted and before you knew it you were way far out away from the shore the place where he used to stand with you and he's just saying come home today come home bring your baggage bring your history bring your guilt bring your fear bring your uncertainty of whether or not you can actually walk this out if you repent today and come home just bring it you won't leave worse I can tell you that and if you're here today and you never have bowed to the Son of God that you can't say with absolute confidence Jesus Christ is my Lord and my King then I'd invite you to come and the person that prays over you, just tell them, I really need to dedicate my life to Jesus. You don't have to go through 150 steps, four classes, and you know, get a diploma. Like just come and say, Jesus, Son of God, forgive me, I'm yours. The day I got saved, you know what my prayer was? God, I've ruined my life. The pastor said you would save me. You can save me or kill me, but I'm done running from you. That's what I said. And was instantly delivered from drugs, alcohol, but most importantly, the sin that held me in bondage. Stand to your feet. Would you do this? Paul, I'd, I'd, I'd really like to minister. And so, I, can, I, can I turn this over to you? You can call. You may be hearing things I'm not hearing. Yeah. Uh, ministry team or prayer team, whoever helps, come on up. And let's just do this. Listen, I think I've said enough. You got a need? Come up. You got a desire? Come up. Maybe it's nothing we talked about this morning. But I'm telling you, if you feel the pull, yield to it. Just yield to Him.